This episode of Last Things First is sponsored by Audible. Audible's bringing you the biggest names in comedy with Audible Channels. Channels offers unlimited listening to original comedy shows, plus audio series and playlists handcrafted for every interest. The best part is that Audible members and Amazon Prime members listen free. All you have to do is download the free Audible app, log in with your Audible or Amazon Prime account, and start listening to exclusive and original programming, such as Bedtime Stories for Cynics, hosted by Nick Offerman, The Comedy Show Show, hosted by Will Arnett, and Sounds Like America, a sonic collage of our country starring comedians, a mix of stand-up jokes, interviews, and more. Start listening now by downloading the free Audible app or go to audible.com slash laugh. Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Yusef Arakat, better known as FusiTube, has upward of 10 million YouTube subscribers and won the 2016 Entertainer of the Year honors at the Streamy Awards. And yet he said during his acceptance speech at the Streamies that he might also be the most hated personality on YouTube. And still, he reads the comments. Yusuf sat down with me to talk about how he went from theater classes to vlogging to prank videos and now to movie theaters. He appeared on screen in 2016 in Tyler Perry's Boo, a Medea Halloween, and stars in the new YouTube-read romantic comedy, We Love You. It's out November 22nd, so let's get to it! So Yusef, uh, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Last things first. It's uh, last things first. This has been kind of like the year that you've kind of dreamed about, right? As as a teenager, like going on stage for a nationwide stage tour, being in a major motion picture with Tyler Perry. But it's probably not how you imagined this all happening when you were a teenager. First of all, thank you for having me. Uh, it actually, it, it, it is the year that I've been envisioning and wanting, you know, my whole life. And now that it's here, it's interesting that you say that. It's not so much, it's not how I imagined it. It's not how I imagined it, it, it would feel. That's the biggest difference. Okay. Because I never really imagined how it would happen. I just knew it would happen and never worried too much about the how. But the feeling is what's most surprising to me. Okay. Because you knew you wanted to be an actor. Yeah. Growing up, I I didn't play, you know, I wasn't in like NJB basketball league. I wasn't in FFL football leagues. Mm -hmm. I grew up acting, doing homemade movies, you know, having fun with my family and showcasing uh, our videos on like, you know, family nights when, you know, our whole family was over. You know, in high school, I was acting in the school plays. So it's definitely something I've always wanted to do. But you probably figured you would be up for a Tony Award or an Academy Award before getting a Streamy Award. <laughs> oh, in that the way, sense, the way it all kind of yeah, unfolded yeah, with YouTube, for you with YouTube, different. yeah, yeah, YouTube was um, definitely uh, a curveball in the plan of right. how it would happen. But I knew when I was in college, 
understanding what it would take if I didn't do YouTube that I needed to do YouTube to be seen and to be heard, right. which is why I chose to do it. So what was that what was that initial impulse for you when you were 20, 19, 20, you're you're in college studying theater. What happened that made you make that first video? There was an actor who came in from the year before mm-hmm. and he was you know one of the best actors in our department um the previous year and after he graduated me being naive to the industry thought he would be you know acting in movies mm-hmm. and tv shows and when he came in and he told us what he was doing he said he was waiting tables and waiting for a callback and me having traditional parents um that wasn't going to fly so I immediately had a sense of urgency to really do something about my situation and to like skip a couple of steps in the process. So that's when I decided to create YouTube. I just felt it. When what was that first video? Because you've you've done a variety of channels and different things. Yeah, the first video was the first on one? the channel was just a random video dancing in an Apple store to Rebecca Black's Friday. Okay. <laughs> so that gives us a, a uh a, a timestamp for when this was. Yeah, and Rebecca that was Black just Friday. me knowing that I needed a viral video. So, you know, people go into YouTube and they say you can never make a viral video, but I had every intention of making a viral video with every video that I made. Well, that's kind of the the uh, the mystery of viral videos is people say it, it can't be strategized, that it's just a... I disagree, though. There's an alchemy involved. Yeah, yeah I, I disagree. And um, I, I know a lot of people say that, like, there's no formula. Like, right. you can't explain to somebody how to make a viral video. Right. But if you are a master at your craft of what you are doing, um, it's just a matter of knowing if people would share that video. Mm-hmm. And that's what I made sure to do in all the videos that I made. But you weren't really a master of anything yet at this point. I wasn't, but I, that's what I was, I was like trying different things out the bat until mm-hmm. I hit my first viral video, which was Middle Eastern Parents. And how, how long did that, how long into the process? Three was months. That? Three months. Okay. Yeah. So that Rebecca Black singing in the Apple Store was not. It did really well. It did? For having no videos on my channel mm-hmm. to upload that as my first video, it did well, but my first viral video, and I knew it was going to be a hit, was Middle Eastern Parents. Okay. Well, what made you already know it was going to be a hit? You know, it, it was it was different. It was unique. It hadn't been done before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I was doing something new to a whole generation, which was um, being a young Middle Eastern, um, dressing up as his mom, his dad, and reenacting what it's like to live in a Middle Eastern household. It really hadn't been seen, and I just like I felt by watching it, like it was it was something so new that people were just going to. Enjoy. I just felt that. Right. All the initial, the first wave of YouTube stars were all white, right? Um, I I don't know if they were all white, but I white and teenagers. (laughs) I I, I mean, that's the sense that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I definitely did enter at a time where it wasn't as diverse as it is now today. Right. So the fact that uh, you're you're showcasing a different viewpoint Mm -hmm. to the world. Yeah. And I also knew that the Middle Eastern uh, audience and market would be, you know, would eat something like that Mm -hmm. up because they didn't have anything to celebrate over as they now did. What were you, what were you watching when you were making YouTube videos? Were you, were you looking to other YouTube channels for guidance or people 
in TV and movies. What was your what was your inspiration? You in know, the my inspiration actually didn't come from um, anything on TV and movies. It actually came from a musician by the name of J. Cole. Okay. And it was about his story of, you know, having the same hunger and sense of urgency of needing to make it and moving to New York by himself and telling his family that he was going to make it. And that's the, the drive and, the, and his ambition and his, his dream is what got me motivated okay. and kept me pushing. So it was a different source of it where I found my inspiration. Because you were actually living at home or close to home? I was living at home yeah. with my mom and dad. So you were... What a stereotypical complaint about mm-hmm. internet people is, oh, you're just living at home with your parents. Yeah, it was 100% true. And it was funny because when I was living at home with my parents, I was telling my audience at the time, even when it was just a couple of hundred people, that one day they were going to buy tickets to watch me in a movie. And one day I was going to do, you know, tours and everything that I'm basically lived up to today. Did you keep up with your schooling the whole time you were making YouTube videos? I did because I made a promise to my mom that I was going to graduate from college regardless of how big I got. So I had to take a four-month hiatus from YouTube at a really high point in my career at the time because I was, you know, it was when everything was booming and the viral videos were coming in. I had to take a four-month break to actually graduate from San Jose State University. Okay. Yeah. What was it like when you came back to YouTube after that four-month break? Was it... It's funny because I, I, I... had first asked my friend Timothy Delaghetto, who was mm-hmm. my YouTube, you know, inspiration at the time, YouTube mentor, really great guy. I asked him, uh, "Do you ever take breaks?" And he said, "No." And I said, "Why?" He said, "Because the audience will forget you." Exactly. And I've actually been a testament to, for whatever reason, that not happening because I've taken many breaks in my YouTube career, which could have been career suicide. The amount of times I've left YouTube. Right. The uh, There was the YouTube playbook that emphasized consistency, mm-hmm. putting things out even on the same day mm-hmm. every week. I just, I don't know. I've always felt, I've always just been different and felt different to go against the grain and play by different mm-hmm. rules and really believe that, you know, if I believed in my craft and in my audience's loyalty, that I could leave and come back. Because, you know, you see musicians who take breaks for a year and are able to come back like nothing changed. If anything, they're wanted even more. So I hated how in YouTube you couldn't even take a breath of fresh air without having to fear being forgotten. Right. Well, with musicians, the break is they're writing the next album. Mm -hmm. They're off tour so they can write more content. But with YouTube, there seems like there's been this inherent pressure... Mm-hmm. For the for the decade that YouTube has been around, that you have to keep making content. The internet is this beast that you have to feed. Mm-hmm. I I've always hated that. Yeah, because like especially with like daily vlogging, it's like there's times where you just want to live your life and not have to live your life for the camera. Right. Because it's a it's a much different style of living when you're recording everything going on based on or. or uh, opposed to actually living through what's going on. Because whether vloggers want to admit it or not. When you're vlogging, there are a lot of things you're doing and a lot of actions you are taking that are for the vlog and not for your actual self. Whereas if you weren't vlogging, you would not be making those same decisions and you wouldn't be living that kind of lifestyle. People say that about all of social media. Like Facebook, primarily they say Facebook, you're only presenting the part of yourself that you want your Facebook friends Mm -hmm. to see. You're not showing all of your life. Mm -hmm. You're kind of different. Though. Yeah, I've sh- I've shown a lot. <laughs> You've shown a lot of your <laughs> yeah. your life. I mean, your your main video that 
if people go to your YouTube page, is from a year ago where you talk about your body transformation. Yeah. You talk about your emotional and mental health and your awareness of that. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, when did you make the decision to move from the Bay Area to L.A.? Um, as soon as I graduated from college. Okay. Which was three years ago. So 2014? No, what are we in now? 2013. 2013. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it was a natural, it was a more organic, I graduated from college. It's time to move. Be- it, wasn't, it wasn't a business decision of, okay, I need to be close to the YouTube space studios well, in LA. Or- that's what I, that's what I, why I thought I needed to be in LA. Mm-hmm. I just knew that. I felt like I needed to be in L.A. for my acting career. I didn't know why. I just felt like, oh, all you tours are from L.A. It right. must be awesome there, so I should go there. So, well, I mean, it's certainly not like people are coming to San Jose to or Fremont to find yeah to find talent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not being discovered there. Yeah, yeah, but you, with I mean, YouTube, Silicon Valley, you're close to Silicon Valley in that sense. But. With YouTube, I feel like you could be anywhere, though. Right. Yeah. Well, and people are. Mm-hmm. So. Um, when you moved to L.A., did you have a, a game plan? I didn't. I thought I would go to L.A. and doors would open mm-hmm. and I'd be going to auditions and I'd be starring in, you know, this and that. But it definitely wasn't how it happened. How many how many subscribers did you have then? When I first moved to L.A., it's funny. I don't even think. Yeah, I didn't have my first million. Okay. Yeah, I did not have my first million. Is that is that, um, you know, people talk about these these round numbers in every facet of social media was was breaking that one million was that a psychological well at hurdle the time, for you? at the time a million subscribers was still very big on youtube because right. it wasn't um it, it not every person had it it was still special right now it's 10 million but at the time it was one million it just shows you like how fast it grew in the you know span that it did Wait, so today, as we're talking, you're at 9.6 something. Yeah. Million. So is 10 million really a, is it, is it weighing on you? Well, to get, yeah, and to I, to get those 300,000 plus? I, I hurt those chances, um, a lot in the recent months because I decided to change my content completely and upload mm-hmm. my vlogs from my second channel, which was Dosa Fusi, which right. was doing incredible to my main channel, which actually made me, uh, take a couple of steps back because I actually lost a couple hundred thousand subscribers okay. from it. But I guess the thinking was you had three, three and a half million on Joseph. You see that, that you could combine those? No, it wasn't. It, on th- one channel? it wasn't that. It was just, I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. Um, I, I've had a very busy year. I've right. had a very hectic year where I didn't really think through my decision where I, as opposed to just doing a sudden change like that, I should have just taken a step back and um, rationalized everything and looked at everything from the outside before coming and making any drastic changes like that. Well, I mean, you are kind of a unique person in social media because you won Entertainer of the Year at the Streamies, mm-hmm. but then you acknowledged that night that you considered yourself the most hated person on YouTube. So it's like... In typical Fusi fashion. Like the most loved and the most hated It's funny. Um, yeah, I actually... I, I, I do get a lot of hate. A, a lot. And I know a lot of people say don't acknowledge it, mm-hmm. you know. But those are Wait. people who get like one or two haters. I'm talking about I get a lot. 
like a lot, a lot, a lot. But I feel like it's a testament to how much love I also do get because in order to win something like Entertainer of the Year by fan votes, I think, um, you know, it shows the love that's there. But with that love comes a lot of adversity. How much of the hate toward you specifically do you feel is based on, to paraphrase Martin Luther King, the, the content of your videos versus the color of your skin or the religion you were brought up in? You know what? I've never... I've had uh, people bring up, you know, my religion or mm-hmm. color and say like, oh, do you ever think like that's the reason? And it's never something I've thought of or allowed it to be um, in my head. But that might be me being naive. And that might be very well the reason someone doesn't like me. Mm-hmm. Because although I don't see skin color, although I don't see religion, you know, when I look at other people, it doesn't mean that they don't see it when they look at me. Right. So their hate towards me might be coming from, you know, factors such as those. Right. Well, when you, when you talk to your uh, friends who are women on YouTube, I mean, their hate the hate that they get is sometimes very specific to their gender. Do you feel like a, there's a difference in the hate that you get or just the, the, the variety of the reactions that you get? Uh, my hate is vicious and it comes from um, a bunch of different people and a bunch of different reasons. And I, I feel like the hate comes from, like I said, when you pick up a vlog camera, you have this, you're a different person. Right. And I feel like the person that they're hating on, the reason that I have to remind myself for it to not affect me, because it's not me. It's not the person you're speaking mm-hmm. to right now. It's because when I hold up the vlog camera, I talk a certain way. I act a certain way. Like sometimes when I watch a vlog, I laugh while I'm editing and be like, damn, I would hate me too. But just because it's it's weird what the camera does to you when the red light is on. Is the difference between Fusi and Yusuf? Very much so. Mm. Yeah, like Yusuf is very quiet. I don't talk. I don't. Um, I don't do. I don't dance in public. Right. I don't walk up to strangers. I'm just in very introverted. Right. Well, but you're also open about your your struggles with mental health. That side of me so is how Yusuf, much- and that that's the side that a lot of people um enjoy. The Yusuf side of me. Because they can identify. They can identify and relate to it. Because, like, you know, with YouTube and audiences liking certain YouTubers, they like the relatability that they have. Right. So they like the all-American white family with, you know, the girlfriend mm-hmm. and, you know, the dog. And with me being single and, you know, being very career-driven, there wasn't a lot to relate to. So when I opened up that side of me, they saw that, oh, wow, he is human, too. Well, it's a, it's a, um, it's an electronic friendship mm-hmm. that they develop, even though it's one-sided. Yeah. You're not having well, an actual dialogue with them. I, I actually found ways to have a dialogue with them without having a dialogue with them. It's confusing. That's why they're so close and so supportive of me. But what's your, what's your trick for that? I actively engage in the comments and read the okay. comments and respond to the comments in the videos. Mm-hmm. And not just like, hey, today I'm going to reply to 10 comments, but like my actual videos will be dictated based on me replying with them and actually weighing their opinions into my life decisions, which is something big. Now, you know, talking about how most YouTubers say don't read the comments mm-hmm. and you're actively involved in them, when you, what have you learned from therapy or, or rehab in terms of how... Being so interactive and being involved, how to balance that with your own state of mind? It's horrible. 
<laughs> I should not read the comments. I should not be engaged in that because it's toxic. Mm-hmm. Like there are actually times where my friends and personal, you know, people around me have to tell me to delete my Twitter app because I shouldn't be reading that stuff. Because to anybody, if you just read certain opinions about yourself over and over and over again, you're going to, whether you start believing it or not, it's going to weigh, weigh heavily on you and be toxic. So I guess talking about the more positive aspects, though, how are you... How were you um, procedurally able to turn the YouTube success into a tour and film roles and the like? How did that? How did that evolve? I I feel like it all happened organically. Um, what came first? Touring. I've been touring since I started in 2011 when I was doing the Middle Eastern videos before I even had a couple hundred thousand subscribers. How did you put the first tour together? Um, I just started getting invited to different events, different community events, different mm-hmm. college events. Um, and they said they ended up wanting comedy. And I had never done stand-up in my life, but I was on stage doing stand-up. And I didn't know it was stand-up at the time because I was just telling stories mm-hmm. of my family. And it ended up turning into you know stand-up. But you booked... You were essentially booking your first tour. Yeah, just I was just replying to people who were. Yeah, I was just replying you. to emails, and you know, I started grouping, uh, scheduling dates uh, together, mm-hmm. and calling it a different name for a tour. Were you able to make money in the beginning, or was it? Yeah, kind of balancing out. Well, at first, spending was, money on flights and lodging. Versus no, at what first, you were I was paid. doing events for free. I didn't even know that you can ask for money. <laughs> And then I started hearing the word honorarium, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, really? You guys are willing to pay me? And I was really undervaluing myself and not understanding what ticket sales and everything. So I was just doing events for, you know. Yeah, what did you ask for in the beginning? Uh, just <laughs> In the beginning, not what you're making now. In the beginning, I, I did events for $500, um, you know, enough to, like you said, lodging, uh, pay food. Pay for your travel. Yeah, and not much more. Uh, it, how long did it take before you got representation who were, who could I, tell you, oh, we can be making you a lot more money than this? Yeah, I had uh, representation early on. Uh, not great representation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, uh, I've, I still feel like I'm working out my team and trying to put the right team around me. Okay. And how long did it take to start seeing money from YouTube? Um, well, the money came in was always coming in but i was signed with a network which was a guy living in his garage and i didn't know Mm -hmm. so he was pocketing let's say 93 percent of my revenue and giving me seven percent every month which is highly illegal and i didn't know that Mm -hmm. until i got out of that network um by help of a lawyer friend and then signed with my first real YouTube network, and they gave me my first actual YouTube check, and I realized that he was withholding my earnings oh, wow. for me for over a year. Yeah, a lot of money lost. So what was that feeling when you saw that first check? Oh, I was shaking. I called my mom. I thought I was a millionaire, um, just because and it wasn't anything close to a million dollars, mm-hmm. but I thought I was a millionaire because it was my first time seeing real money, and I had been doing it for a while, and wow. it, w- it was crazy. It was a crazy feeling. So tell me about this this uh, last tour that you went on in 2016, Roman versus Pussy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, me and my. How, how does how does how did this tour compare to that first tour? Oh, crazy, 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 crazy! This tour was just insane. Me and my good brother um, Roman Atwood, uh, we really complement each other, and um, our chemistry works really well together. Mm-hmm. And we both 
built very caring and you know supportive audiences so putting them together in, under one roof and having a night of positivity and laughter and fun is just crazy and the audience was just insane how did you structure the the actual stage show um we we worked together we you know i used my uh, theater background and pieced together a two-act show mm-hmm. um taking them through different emotions and you know making sure it was uh fun for the whole family and you know family friendly so were you doing stand-up still uh, I actually didn't no? do stand-up in this tour because, you know, Roman didn't do stand-up, so I knew that we needed to just do something together. So it's more of like a comedy act okay. that uh, plays itself every night. And then the second half, more of an inspirational bit and, you know, motivational bit. And then you also got to walk your first red carpet mm-hmm. a month ago mm-hmm. for Medea's Halloween movie. Which was awesome, yeah. Yeah. That was that was really awesome. I got to walk my mom, which I promised my mom from the beginning I would walk her down a Hollywood red carpet. So to be able to do that was awesome. Yeah, and you kept her uh, arm in arm for, for all the paparazzi photos Definitely. and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you got uh, another movie coming out later this fall. Mm-hmm. Um, have you talked to your uh, theater teachers from San Jose? Um, no, I haven't. <laughs> uh, I, I haven't, and I'm, I wonder. I, I, I that's just, what I. That's why I ask. I wonder what. Yeah, I wonder if they know. I wonder if they, you know, see what's going on. <laughs> what what Yusef is his turn? Yeah, is, yeah, is they, made a career. I know. For I himself. got an email a while back that said, "Hey, students, we would like if you can send us a paragraph of what you're doing or what's been going on, so mm-hmm. we can check in on you." And I never sent anything back, though. Oh wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, you know, now that you're you're racking up credits outside of YouTube, what what kind of advice or inspiration? I know you 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 know you. You gave an inspirational speech at the streamies and then on your vlog post streamies. But what kind of advice or inspiration is 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 helping you get through this stage of your career? Um, I guess to just believe in myself and to not listen to all the noise that are that's going on outside. Because the more success that I reach, um, the more troubles are going to come my way and the more hardships. And that's just that's going to happen to anybody in any career. Um, once you reach a really big point in your career. You're going to be hit with a lot of hardships that are going to try to convince you to stop and, you know, go the other direction. But you just have to continue pushing forward and understand that all will work itself out. What do you what do you hope to do next? More films. I just um, I feel like I haven't even tapped into my potential of what I'm capable of doing, whether it be on screen or whether it be on the stage. So more films and more touring. Definitely. Does that mean more breaks from YouTube? Uh, That's figuring itself out. Um, what's what's what have you found is a good pace for you in terms of? I think for a couple of releasing months, videos. Uh, well, it depends if I'm doing if I'm doing daily vlogs, then I uh, a couple of months on, mm-hmm. but then definitely a couple of months off. And if I'm doing actual content, which I haven't been doing in quite some time, it would be about once a week or okay. maybe even uh, Those twice are like the a prank month. Videos or yeah, okay, which I need to start back up. Okay, although as uh, as you uh, disclosed at the streamies. Some of those pranks aren't real. Oh, of course. <laughs> I mean, you know, me being in the industry and understanding the behind the scenes of it all. But, you know, it's like telling a bunch of kids that Santa isn't real or mm-hmm. that, you know, magic isn't real. It's like it's it's harsh for a lot of people to understand and believe. And they just they won't understand it. Right. Uh, so uh, if you were to go back to the Bay Area and talk to kids at your high school or at college to give like a career day speech what would be the first piece of advice you give to any aspiring young entertainer 
um, to not listen to anybody who tells them they, it, you know, it's, 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 it's as cliche as telling them to not listen to anybody who tells them they can't do what they want to do, because they definitely can, and they definitely should. Um, as long as they believe in themselves and are willing to dedicate their time, their energy, and their, you know, their effort into whatever it is they want to do 110%, then I feel like they can achieve whatever it is that they want to do. Okay. Well, Yusuf, I appreciate you talking to me here on the cusp of 10 million, and I uh, look forward to talking to you when you hit 100. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.